And welcome back to another edition of Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 153, season 3, episode 44. Portion of the week is known as Shoftim, our third time through the portion known as Shoftim. And our subject this week is self-doubt. We've talked before about courage. We've talked before about anxiety. We've talked about stress. We've talked about confidence. We've talked about crisis of confidence. We've talked about all kinds of subjects around the similar related issue. And so here, talking this week specifically about the issue of self-doubt. We all have self-doubt. There are occasions for each and every one of us in our lives when we doubt ourselves, we doubt our abilities, we doubt, you name it, we doubt it. And it comes up a lot, and it's super important to think about this. There's a quote from legendary basketball player Kobe Bryant. I have self-doubt, I have insecurity, I have fear of failure, I have nights when I show up at the arena and I'm like, my back hurts, my feet hurt, my knees hurt, I don't have it, I just want to chill. We all have self-doubt, he says. You don't deny it, but you also don't capitulate to it. You embrace it. And so it's an important sort of subject to think about because we're all going through it. A lot of the subjects that we discuss, some of us have and some of us are dealing with. And this is one that I think we all go through at different points in our lives. It's probably an interesting study to figure out when it is in our lives that we suffer through self-doubt and when it is that we don't. What are those moments that we feel really confident and, and comfortable and the ones that we don't feel confident and comfortable? And then to take it a step further is when our own self-doubts impact others around us and they have sort of a spreading effect or some sort of virality around it, or a contagion is probably the right term, when our self-doubt becomes contagious for others around us. So how does it fit into the Bible? So here in the Bible this week, specifically at the end of the portion this week, in chapter 20, verse 8, the Bible is discussing at that point the people of Israel establishing for themselves an army when they have to go to battle against a city, a town, an enemy, whatever it may be, and the establishment of the army there. And in particular, the Bible then describes a number of circumstances where a person who in theory belongs and should be fighting the battle is let out of the role of being a soldier. And so the Bible lists a few items or a few reasons why a person necessarily wouldn't be considered or would be exempted from the role of playing a soldier. Now, I never served. I was never a soldier. I was never in an army. I've been on teams before, but I've never been in that specific space. So the Bible then lists out a few of those different things. If a person has begun to plant their own vineyard, if a person has bought a home, if a person is engaged to a, to a woman, he should go home. In all those cases, they should go home. Then in verse 8, after it lists out these different scenarios and circumstances, and there are probably more that we could come up with on our own, the Bible then says, who is afraid, whose heart is soft, he should go home, the Bible says. 
which is understandable that if you're afraid, if you have fear, if you have concerns, if you doubt yourself, perhaps, then you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be fighting the battle. You shouldn't be in the trenches with the other soldiers. Forget about the other soldiers. For yourself, you shouldn't be there. Because we know that if we have concerns, if we have worries, if we doubt ourselves, then we know that we will not necessarily perform up to par and we'll put ourselves in danger. We don't want to put ourselves in danger. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible isn't so much concerned about you putting yourself in danger. The Bible says at the end of that verse is that you will then affect the heart and soul of the others that are around you. It's an insidious effect and impact of your fears and your doubts on the others that surround you. That's the concern here. The language in the Bible is actually very interesting. It's specifically the language talks there about the idea that it melts the hearts of your brothers that are around you like it is melting yours. The imagery is very powerful, very powerful visual of the melting heart. It's a term actually that comes up again later on in the Bible in the book of Joshua when it is that the people of Israel have entered the land and they're, they're, they're considering attacking the city of Jericho, the term that Rahav uses in that city when the two spies come to her town is that the hearts of her people have melted. What does that mean? The idea that the self-doubt has crept in. And therefore, there's no belief that the person or the army or the team is, can be victorious. They say that about certain teams, certain fighters even specifically, that they won before the opponent had even entered into the ring. They say it, I remember it specifically, talking about Mike Tyson, to distinguish between the Bible and boxing. But Mike Tyson, that before he would even walk into the ring, he had sowed enough doubt in the mind of his opponent that it was over before he threw the first punch. That victory had happened for him, not every time, but at least in, the, in that period of time when he was unbeatable, before he had even thrown a punch at any of his, at any of his opponents. Certain teams are so powerful, so strong, their talent on such a high level, the talk around them so much that it sows the seeds of doubt, that's such also a very beautiful and very powerful term, before anything has taken place. And so the Bible exhorts this person to not be there. Don't fight. It's almost to the degree as if it's a prohibition to fight in a situation where you have this sort of fear and doubt in your heart because then you will cause fear and doubt in others around you and then there's no chance at victory. And so the army then is made up of those who do not have that, right? One of the explanations that's brought down in the commentary Rashi is the other explanations are brought, the idea that maybe he has planted a vineyard or he has bought a home or that he is engaged to be married to allow a person to excuse why somebody might leave. 
that it's not fear or it's not self-doubt in their capabilities or their squeamishness or concern or worries about having to wield a weapon in war or the idea that, God forbid, something could happen to anybody around them. And that fear is so much that they're simply not able to fight and do the battle, do battle as necessary. And so it is that self-doubt has this incredibly powerful and creeping effect. This famous quote said by many, but I actually found the source, someone by the name of Susie Kassim, who said, doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. I think that many people have said similar quotes, but doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. And so we have to sort of think about this for ourselves in terms of our own self-doubt, and then the impact that our self-doubt has on everybody around us when we have teams and we're leaders. And what we can do to sort of mitigate the impact of that doubt and the ability to sort of see that as a place forward. So many instances in real world, in business, where doubt or, you know, doubting the competition, doubting your own abilities has led to more destruction and failure, perhaps, than actually trying or having made an attempt at the success. And so, as a leader, how do we work on this? How do we appreciate that this is happening? First and foremost, as a leader, is paying attention. There's a member of the team that suddenly has you know, in the baseball, the term was the yips, their inability to sort of perform. They, they just simply can't throw the curveball anymore the way they used to, or they can't swing the bat the way they used to. Something has happened to them. So as a leader, it's first is being perceptive and having that perception and having the vision to be able to see what's going on on our teams. Someone fails at a project or fails a couple of times in a row. You can imagine that the seeds of doubt for that person have begun to creep in. Being a good leader is paying attention to that. Leave alone for a minute your own doubts and self-doubts. For sure that's true. But what about everybody else? And so when a person on your team is on a losing streak, they didn't get a sale, they didn't get a few sales, they have a bad week, you can imagine what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their heart, how they feel, how it's impacting themselves around everything else in their lives. Now take it a step further. How is it affecting everybody else? How is it affecting the rest of the team? Is that sowing doubt in the hearts and minds of everybody else that surrounds? Your uh, software team, developing new software programs, packages. The first version comes out, it's exceptionally buggy. The second version comes out, it's also exceedingly buggy. And you're the leader of the team. So you have to keep the team moving forward at the same time, same time appreciating that they're going through some sort of uh, you know, a, a slump, let's say, with respect to their development, and you have to work around, you have to work through it. So it starts, typically speaking, with one person or two people, perhaps, and then it creeps. And that's the sort of way to think about it. It's, you know, a creepy crawler. It is in, you know, 
it, it's, it's an infection and in one person that becomes contagious and can spread to everybody else. So you have to figure out how to work through that. How do you deal with that? So the first and foremost here is, as I said, being really perceptive of what's going on, paying attention to what's happening in the team, the dynamic of the team, paying attention to what's going on around the team, what's gone on over the last set of days, weeks, whatever that may be. You could even call a pause. There are coaches in sports who, when they see that their team isn't playing well, blow the whistle, send everybody home. Take the rest of the day, clear your mind. They'll sit a player down for a couple of days to have them just simply breathe and focus and relax so they can come back. So the first is that sense of perception. Number two, relatedly, is communication. To really be important here is when this is going on, is communicating with the individual or individuals or the team where this is happening. Having an honest assessment and conversation about what they're feeling, what's going on. Not why necessarily, but what. What's happening? What are you feeling? Here's what I'm seeing from you as a team or as an individual on the team. Beyond that, I think you can go further and share some personal expectations, sorry, personal experiences from the mistakes in the situations that you made, where you've had that self-doubt, where you've had that fear and concern, how did you work through that? You were on a project, it didn't go well, it was a disaster, and now you're, you went at the next one with skepticism, concern, some fears and some doubts. Maybe you plowed through, maybe you worked through it, maybe you took one off and you went to the next one, you skipped one, you passed it on everybody else. Number two, then, I think is setting, number three, then, is really then going back with the team and reestablishing the ground where their expectations are being set. Maybe they've gotten ahead of themselves and, and they're too far forward and they, they feel like they're, you know, they're, 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 they're out there without any sort of, you know, equipment that's holding them, that's protecting them, that's saving them, that is guarding them. And they feel very much like they're in the wind. And so you need to set realistic expectations with them, work with them, show them situations where it has worked, where they started smaller perhaps and worked through. Those are really important first three steps for me. And then I think what's really important here is to get a really good, fast, short win. Something that might be on a different zone or a different path or different thing altogether where the team can sense a win, and then they can go forward. So if it's an individual, so like I remember in basketball, when I played basketball, was just to see the ball go through the net, even from five feet away, just created a little bit more confidence, right? The flip side of self-doubt is the confidence in talent or ability to then expand a little bit further. You can do that with a team. Run a play that you know is going to work right, if it's a sports team, and that begins to tamp down and beat down the self-doubt that's there and allows for confidence to creep back in. Super important facts uh, in terms of how you build a process and how you get it to go and how you, how you put yourself in a position as a leader with your team to be in a position to really begin to create a windfall of winning forward back, you know, forward into the situation, creating where the team feels like, okay, that was just, that was just a hiccup in our circumstance. And that's not something that we're going to allow 
to creep further in and melt the hearts of the entire team such that we can't do anything further. I think also, besides taking that attempt at a, at a small victory, but a, a good victory from, a, from a, a position or from a play that you know of or a playbook that you know that works, is at that point, I think, then creating space for a little bit of risk-taking. But some of the self-doubt comes from fear that it's actually going to blow back on them in a real way and have major impact. And so you want to create a circumstance in a situation where the team feels like they can take risks. They shouldn't feel like they're in a position where, um, you know, it's going to go further and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to come from, it's going to just, you know, it's going to spiral out of control and they're going to be uh, destroyed. And so we can appreciate where this self-doubt is coming from and where the self-doubt uh, is, is, you know, is fixable on the flip side of that. And so where self-doubt comes from a space of vulnerability right, very often, or sort of the fear of, of taking, you know, risks or being courageous by allowing the room for somebody to take a risk and to step into courage and to step into appreciating their vulnerability here by trying something new without any consequence, let's say, without real risk on the flip of that, that's a real power play for you as, as a leader. And so, that's how you sort of work it. You want people to take risks. You want your team to step into uh, their, their vulnerabilities. You want the team to try new things and be inventive. But when they're in self-doubt, it's impossible. And so let's be appreciative of what's going on here with the team. Let's be appreciative of where the people are in that space. And uh, it's appreciate where they can actually be. And so we want to you know, on some level, reassure them, but on the same time, we want to push them out there uh, and encourage them to take steps to be uh, successful. We may have to lead them a little bit down that line. We may have to show them that it's safe, but at the same time that we're sharing with them that it's safe and that we care about them and that we're in, we have a real strong sense of empathy about them, we do want to push them into the space where they're going to feel um, you know, comfortable taking steps. The truth is, the truth is that when we're doing this and you can work this through, you can appreciate that as much as they're self-doubting their talents, there's a great quote that I saw, they can doubt the doubts. They can doubt the self-doubt. They can doubt the self-limitation that they're putting on themselves too. It's sort of, we counterintuitive in the mind for us to, well, I know I've won before. I know I've done this right before. I know I've been successful before. But now when I'm in that space of self-doubt and self-creep and self, you know, self-questioning. So I can question the questions. I can question the doubts. And that's a harder conversation that we have to sort of work through, but it is one that we can actually get through. And so as much as we're thinking about these other things, we can also work through these things together as a team. We can also work together, work through this as individuals. It's a very powerful mind frame and a framework that a person can use to sort of get through everything uh, in those spaces. And so that's where we want to be. That's where we want to think about, you know, self-doubt and how we want to work through the different things that are, that are there uh, in, our, in our own mind.
And so I think that for me is very much sort of how I want you to think about self-doubt specifically. And I think the most important thing perhaps is simply that we all have them. It's normal. And the key to getting out of it is action, is appreciating it, but actually stepping forward into it and then working our way through it. And to appreciate the following, some of the last quote, this is a quote actually from uh, Shakespeare, <laughs> which is this, doubt is a thief that often makes us fear to tread where we might have won. Doubt is a thief that often makes us fear to tread where we might have won. And so in the case of the Bible, in the case of the soldier, so getting out of that space in that case is best because that's the best thing for the team, not melting their hearts. But in our individual spaces and in our individual lives and the things that we're working on and doing for ourselves, we can appreciate that doubt is a thief and that those self-doubts are the greatest thieves that steal from us the greatest opportunities, the greatest moments, the greatest victories, the greatest successes that may come along in our own lives. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. Look forward to seeing you next week as we pour through and work our way through to the end of season three of Coaching with the Bible.